0: Yo, what's going on, guys? This is Rob Pearsall, a.k.a. Yonkers Pearsall, a.k.a. the lunatic Ron Pearsall. And I am here with my good buddy, Alex Carigliano Macelli, And we are back. We have a lot of news to break down for you guys today. We're super excited to be back. We took a little bit of a hiatus for the rest of the postseason after the Mets got knocked out. Because we truthfully just needed a little bit of a breather, and uh, I think most of you guys probably feel the same. But we are back. We are excited for a really interesting off season that's already been filled with a lot of news. So, Alex, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And what is your favorite candy, both sour and chocolate based?
1: Um, and uh, excuse me for kind of having to like cut off the question a little bit, but rest of postseason, rest of off season,
0: rest of off season.
1: Yeah, I don't. Rusty. You said you said no. I mean, like you said, the uh, the Mets got a <laughs> knocked out. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: They won the World Series.
1: Yeah, no, I know? was I was there. It was Jacob DeGrom uh, was on the mound against the Padres, Game Two. It was a wicked awesome win, and then blackout.
0: Max Scherzer actually caught behind the plate, so Jacob DeGrom was pitching to Max Scherzer. Joanna Cespedes came out of retirement, no. hit five home runs.
1: It was absolutely sick. I heard to make the game go faster, since Scherzer was catching, he would just pitch right back to DeGrom, and DeGrom would get back down and catcher position, and they just like let it go. They just let it flow.
0: Yeah, they, the, uh, the opposing offense had no chance, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, no. It was they, actually they, so sick.
0: And they actually decided that the Phillies could play for the American League, and the Mets swept them in four games, so it was awesome.
1: Yeah, it, it was awesome. Um, that honestly, that was my favorite sour candy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was I was feeling really sour. Uh, if we're gonna bust into reality, um, I also to be super frank with you, and I I feel like I I feel like you're a seasoned man, Rob. Um, my favorite sour candy is for sure the soury gu- the sour. <laughs> the sour gummy bears. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Rob, <laughs> I like the sour gummy bears. I, I mean, this is why. No, the uh, the the sour gummy worms from 7-Eleven.
0: Oh, those specifically,
1: are amazing. Specifically the 7-Eleven brand. I, that used to be my go-to. If I was doing like a sleepover with the boys when I was in high school, it was sour gummy worms, a big thing, a big bag of combos, the pizza ones, um, chips, and like a thousand Gatorades. And we were oh, very yeah. healthy for it. Yeah.
0: You were, uh, you guys and, were
1: really healthy, like, like completely oh, yeah.
0: like run a mile after that.
1: Oh, yeah. We, we would just walk around all night. We called the boy talk. <laughs> no, nope, man talk. Anyway, <laughs> chocolate, uh, I, I, I'm a Snickersman. That was my like, struggle meal when I was in college. But for real, the best chocolate, take five. No one talks take five. about
0: it. Take five is an underrated candy. It has the pretzel in it,
1: right? I love pretzels so much. Yeah.
0: The sweet and saltiness, I absolutely agree. I think Reese's Fast Break is another one that's really underrated. It's just like a, as good as a Reese's, but it's a little bit more substantial. But I agree. Snickers is an amazing struggle meal because you have all of your, all the food pyramid items in there, probably, right? I'm not going to, I don't want anyone to check me on that. You're
1: just, there's, you know, there's a green.
0: Yeah, there's a green in there. There's a meat in there. Yeah. You know, there's, I, there's something.
1: I read about it. I, I saw it. I'm, I'm sure it's real.
0: but i agree snickers is one of my favorite they're an s-tier candy twix is probably my favorite chocolate candy and then for sour sour gummy worms is a great choice but i think watermelon warheads is my favorite sour candy just the watermelon exclusive ones those are delicious
1: you're crazy for saying that warheads you're crazy for saying that oh wait
0: not warheads i'm sorry not warheads uh watermelon Uh sour patch kids
1: Okay, see, that that's a big difference. I don't yeah, think I've had a difference. Warhead since... I don't think I've enjoyed a Warhead since Little League.
0: Warheads are not that good. I mean, it's just... It's literally citric acid, and then it's so sweet. Uh, Sour Patch Kids are way better than Warheads. That's my tepid take of the day. Well, if you
1: think about it, who wants to go to war?
0: Yeah, I mean, who wants to have a head?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I wish I was dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is a, which actually is a, an apropos segue into our next, our next, ta- our first talking point, really, which is, as I'm sure everyone that's listening to this knows, we all know, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard that Jacob deGrom is no longer a Met, which is a weird sentence to say because for a very long time, and Alex can attest to this. Uh, Due to the group chats that we were in, I have been saying since like July when Degrom came back that I fully believed that he was leaving this off season. But when the when the off season actually came around, there was a little bit of optimism in the media that we were that we were you know that everyone was reading that Jacob Degrom and the Mets. It kind of seemed like there might have been a reunion there. The Mets seemed a little confident that maybe Degrom was going to come back. And I still believed in my heart that he was going to leave, but there was that glimmer of hope, that little sliver that hey, maybe, maybe Degrom is going to come back, maybe he actually does like playing here. And then when you get the notification that Jacob Degrom is is leaving and he's going to Texas, Texas is a team that I think kind of from the beginning it wasn't a secret that they were interested, but to actually see it happen was very strange. I think that for deGrom to actually be gone was was a big shock to everyone just because he's been in New York for such a long time. And so that was for me when that actually set in finally, it was it was this this pain of like, you know, I, I kind of miss the guy now. Where were you when you found out and like how did you find out that DeGrom was leaving? What was it like take me through that for you?
1: Okay. So I was at the movie theaters which is great because I was also at the movies when the Mets pitched the no-hitter. Same movie theater, um, except this time, instead of finding out upon walking out, I found out during the movie because I just couldn't put the phone away because I I needed to know, like, up-to-date news. So I had it on silent. I have it in front of me. And I'm watching the movie The Menu in theaters now if anybody uh we are not sponsored by the menu but go see the menu it is a fantastic movie i've heard it's great it might be one of my favorites of the year um and so anyway I, I, i'm there i'm sitting in the seat and <laughs> i just open my front and go and my my beautiful wife is is very reactionary to like when i make sounds like that so she's like what, what is it what is it i'm just like Ah, Jacob deGrom is signing with the Texas Rangers. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't look at this right now. I can't, I can't look at this right now. News, more news is trickling about like contact information. This is that. I'm just kind of like peeking. At my, I'm looking watching a movie, enjoying it. Peeking down at my phone, and then just like grimacing. Uh, but that's where I was, uh, and you, you know, you know me. We've had these conversations. You used to, you know, you, since July, you were saying that Degrom is going to be chopping with blooper, uh, and signing with the Braves. And I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm very much an optimist, so I just really felt like no, I really, I really feel like he's going to stay. But I definitely had that sinking feeling. Just I don't know, something didn't seem right. And I guess now in hindsight, it. it I mean, it must be because of the whole just how disconnected he seemed to be from like New York media and everything, just like something. And I guess just like his long absence, um, he didn't seem like so essential to the team. You know, it's almost like a, like a mythological figure. And you and you saw that in the way people talked about him. Um, I have no idea if he actually kept close relationships and friendships with any of them. I'm sure, I'm sure some people, you know, could tell us, but, and, you know, you see them laughing in the dugout and, you know, you laugh at your coworkers at work, too. It doesn't mean you hang out with them afterwards. But the way everyone would talk about him, it always seemed like they were talking about, you know, one of the great pitchers of the past, you know. Um, cause he was so revered by the people in his own dugout that, you know, like, I mean, even Stroman. Stroman would always, like, rave about him. And just everyone in the dugout, um, Scherzer was excited coming over. And for some reason, that makes it feel a little easier. Like I don't know. He he only we only had eleven starts from him this year. Um, only we only won five times when he was on the mound, out of one hundred and one wins. I think that that's what it was. So I'm sad. I I the only like real jersey that I have, I have like a like a promotional like black David Wright one. You I think you have the same one because we got that at my birthday, but. Uh, I have the one Jacob DeGrom pinstripe jersey, and I'm like, well, and my uh, my father-in-law bought that for me, like in secret. He didn't want uh, Caitlin to tell me, but he was like, oh, like you, how are you going to be such a huge fan? You don't have a jersey, and he just figured, like, well, if you're going to get someone a jersey, like you're going to get the best guy. Like that was his logic.
0: And I still think that the Jacob DeGrom jersey is something that maybe. Not in the short term, but in the long term, you'll be glad you had it because 10 years from now, 12 years from now, like that jersey is going to hold up. I mean, oh, yeah. I recently bought a Matt Harvey jersey that I saw on eBay. And I think that that's something that now that the dust has settled and he's been gone for many years, that jersey, he was such an important pitcher to me because when he came up, the Mets had nothing. He was really the first of that five aces, quote unquote, five aces to debut. So, he gave the Mets fans a glimmer of hope every fifth day. We forget because DeGrom ended up being on otherworldly is the word I was looking for, but Harvey was really, it was Harvey day every fifth day. That was, that was the thing, you know? And then DeGrom kind of came and he had his own separate kind of career. I think we tend to forget that they were in the same rotation at one point. But I think that's a good jersey to have because it'll always be an all-time. That's great. What I want to say about Degrom because now that the now that it's been almost a week, been about five days since he signed, you're seeing a lot more pieces come out about how he was disenchanted with the New York media, how he was disenchanted with the New York lifestyle, and I think that that's it happens every time a big profile player leaves. I mean, Yohan Cespedes was smeared a lot, and not to say that. DeGrom is being smeared um, because these things could be truthful but I think that you're seeing a lot more of these things come out now that he's gone Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit maybe not devil's advocate but I understand to a degree why he left Um, you have to remember DeGrom is from DeLand, Florida which is a very different place than New York it's it's in my mind, I picture it as like a swamp kind of land. like It's kind of like yeah, the boonies I have no idea. of Florida. Yeah. I don't know if it's by Miami or Tampa or wherever it is, but I, I assume it's kind of like a woodsy, foresty kind of area, like kind of like the sticks. Um, and I think that at a point, Jacob DeGrom loved playing here, and maybe he even liked playing here this past year, but I think that re- David Lennon of Newsday wrote a really good piece about it where he kind of basically opined that maybe – it kind of just run its course from both sides. Jacob deGrom did miss a full calendar year. He missed half of 2021 and half of 2022, and it pretty much lasted one calendar year back, uh, to from his last start to his first start back. Um, so I think that in that time when you have also a new ownership where a guy like Steve Cohen is bringing in a lot of his own guys – that someone like Jacob Degrom might not like that because he's been in the farm system since 2010 or whatever year it was that he got drafted. So, I think most people from the outside would say, "Well, the Wilpons are gone; they don't own the team anymore. That's great." But for someone like Degrom, so much stuff might have changed around him that he didn't really feel connected to the organization anymore. Um, and you bring in a high-profile pitcher like, pitcher like Max Scherzer, a shortstop like Francisco Lindor, and Jacob Degrom missing all that time. It's kind of all these things that add up to the point where maybe he felt like he needed a fresh start and maybe he wanted to be somewhere where he wasn't really so magnified in the New York media. Um, I remember when Noah Syndergaard came back and he pitched for the Phillies. uh, Once he got acquired by the Phillies and he came back to New York for the first time, he had said to the media members that he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. He didn't feel like he had his best stuff. And he went to L.A. to kind of clear his mind a little bit And in that clubhouse, it's way different. You don't have 12, 15, 20 members of the media. You have a couple. And there, I mean, truthfully, the big stories are Otani and Trout. So he was kind of able to kind of hang out in the background a little bit, which I think DeGrom will kind of be able to do in Texas. It's not going to be the same as it is in New York. So I'm very sad. I think that him being the last piece of that 2015 team and for him to leave that era era the, the book is closed on, That's like an era of my life that it feels like is closed a little bit now, too. So I think that's what made me sad about him leaving. But truthfully, it happens. I mean, it really – we've had stars leave before. We've had stars be traded. We've had stars retire. Um, And you end up liking the group of players that play now. So, you know, I think that's kind of where I'm at with Jacob deGrom.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. I actually looked it up and don't, cause I had the same swampy, like, oh man, this guy is from the backwoods, I'm sure. And it looks like, it's like, you know, maybe it's pretty close to Daytona. Uh, it looks like I'm looking at like a, a satellite view or like a, a camera view. It looks like a, like a college town. I'm getting like a, a Florida, Philly type of vibes. Um, there is definitely like a lot of trees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well i think but, i think yeah. stetson
0: is there like stetson
1: Stetson's like where right he there went to, yeah so i yeah. guess it is a college town um but uh, but it, it, even yeah despite all that like it's it's possible they had an inkling that he wasn't super excited about staying and that might be part of the reason why they felt like they had to get scherzer um last year too like not just because of the the void in the rotation for the first half of the year, but making sure because there was no guarantee that we would get Verlander, so it was like making yeah. sure that there's also someone at the front next year as well um, yeah, and you know the the, the the people leave right like I always read about like oler uh he he got a much. From what I've read, uh, he got a much better contract offer from the Mets. They wanted him to stay because it was so amazing in those three years here. But his heart was in Seattle, and sometimes you can't just, like, ignore that. Uh, it, um, Aaron Judge was very close to going to San Francisco. Apparently he had made a promise to his his wife when they were in, uh, in high school that, like, the next 10 years of our lives are going to be, uh, you know, we're going to get married and we're going to... You know, I'm going to play in San Francisco. Like, you know, sometimes your heart has, has, you know, you just want something and maybe he's just a Texas guy. And, you know, I'm not going to hate him for it. I'm not going to burn his jersey. Uh, I'm going to be sour. And, of course, the the weird news about him comes out afterwards. And, you know, I go, oh, this must be typical, you know, New York Mets. Media. What is this, the World Ponds again? We're leaking bad information about the player as soon as they leave. But then I think about it, and I'm only in this market. I'm sure that happens literally in every single market when a big player leaves, but we just don't see that because that's not national news, you know? Um, so it is what it is, and we seem to have landed on our feet, you know? And you got to trudge.
0: Steve, Steve Cohen owns the team, and he looks at it from a different scope Than the fans do, where it's he still has to do his job. And it's not like the Mets didn't offer Jacob DeGrom a competitive offer. The the Rangers just made him an offer that no team was going to match, even Steve Connor. And truthfully, I don't blame him because Jacob DeGrom is going to be 35 next year. He's going to be, he signed a deal that's essentially going to take him through his age 40 or 41 season. And we, you don't know what you're going to get from the guy. I mean, I hope that he's the pitcher that he was when he won his Cy Young awards because that's good for baseball. That's really good yeah. for baseball. I want to,
1: I want to see him do well.
0: Yeah, it's not like he went to the Braves. I mean, he's if any team, if he had to go to any team, I'm glad he went to the Rangers because they literally don't have any impact on the Mets whatsoever unless they're playing them, which they're only going to play them three times in 2023. Uh, three. Or if they if they face him in the World Series, and then you cross that that bridge when you get to it. But listen, the Mets made him an offer, which seems to be forty million over uh, forty million annually for three years. Which I mean, he still would have been one of the highest paid pay, paid players annually than any yeah. other than than I think what what Judge is going to be making forty something annually with the Yankees. Yeah, and he's 40 only the third. Yeah, and he's only the third player to To have that kind of deal, and the others are Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, which kind of brings us to the next point, which is that the Mets signs Justin Verlander. We have Justin Verlander, yeah, which is really cool. I mean, I personally wasn't jumping up and down for joy because that deal went down Monday. I was still kind of recovering from the news of Jacob Degrom, so it wasn't like last year where Max Scherzer signed and I was ecstatic to watch him and you know this and that. Like this year is a little bit more subdued. Um, I was like, all right, I'm happy we got Verlander. I wasn't jumping up and down because the, the Jacob deGrom feeling was very raw. But now that the Mets announced it today, which the date of recording is Wednesday, uh, it feels good. It feels good to have Verlander. I'm very excited to see him and Scherzer. Uh, Verlander just won the AL Cy Young with the Astros, just won the World Series. So it's going to be very, very exciting to see him. Um, and I know that the the big knock is that these guys are – older. I mean, you have Verlander who's 40 and Scherzer is right behind him. But I think that with Verlander, you're going to see a competitive competitor with Scherzer. And I think these guys are really going to try to outdo each other and I think it'll be really fun to have a, a solid 1-2 punch like that at the top of the rotation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, speaking of that competitiveness, I mean, I forget which exactly it is. I'm looking it up right now, but aren't they they're like 12th and 13th all-time in strikeouts? And they're only like five apart. Yeah, I'm sure. So they're—I mean—they're so, I mean, they're like, neck and neck. That's going to be so fun to watch. <laughs> you know, like uh, you're going to have a Verlander start where it's like, oh, and Verlander's retaking the uh, the strikeout, the the total career strikeouts lead, and then the next start, and Scherzer has reclaimed. And we're going to hear that every time, and it's going to be just as timeless as you know when the first hit is given up in the game, and you say, well, there goes the no hitter. That's just where, that's something we're going to be saying in every start. And, you know, just like you, I had a little bit more of a subdued reaction, too. I had students. I had, like, this one student, Jaden, uh, and he's always, like, with every bit bit of baseball news, he's, like, knocking on my class. and goes, did you see they signed Verlander? And I'm, like, yeah, you know, like, I pumped myself up. He's still, like, a god to, like, to me. I mean, I remember seeing Verlander action figures in models when he was still, like, when he, he might have been a rookie when I saw it. Like, he, in his first few years, at least, maybe 2007. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's an awesome all-time pitcher, and I've always very much admired Verlander. Uh, honestly, Verlander and Scherzer were probably my two favorite non-Mets players for a very long time, uh, and that is totally for real. And he's someone I've always kept track of, and it's really cool to have him. And, yeah, you know, I, 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 it didn't feel as secure as, like, maybe, like, a Rodon where, you're like, you feel better given out a longer contract and feel comfortable thinking that maybe there's still more, um, like, potential there, like, untapped potential that you could bring out of him, especially with, like, Jeremy Hefner as the pitching coach. But also, Verlander's pretty certain. Like, even Scherzer, like, set aside those la- those last few, like, awful, disappointing starts his body wasn't right. And it was a really, it was really weird. And I think there's a lot of pressure to, um, cause if, if he couldn't take the mound in those days, who was going to. And so he really had to like fight through what was obviously, uh, lingering discomfort that threw him off. Um, and so, you know, Verlander is a similar, uh, similar type of guy. And I, I trust that we're going, you know, maybe he's not pitching to a 1.75 ERA again, but I feel comfortable thinking that he's going to throw below three. Even if it's high twos, that's elite. (laughs) Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Verlander is awesome. Yeah.
0: Verlander is great. And I think that, yes, I agree with you. I was kind of in the camp of, I thought that Carlos Rodon was a little bit of a more appealing option. He's a little younger. I think Steve Cohen didn't maybe want to dole out a deal of that length. Um, That's kind of just my guess. And I think Verlander, the contract that Verlander ended up signing, I like. So that was my big concern because there was originally that you were hearing that he maybe wanted four years, which I think would have been really silly. And at that point, I would have just wanted to sign Rodon from an outside perspective. But two years with a vesting option for a third year is great. I think that that's that's a perfect deal. And if his option doesn't vest, that's it. And, you know, his career is over or whatever, and the, the contract's over. And, you know, thank you for your service. But yeah, it'll be really cool. It'll be really, I mean, Verlander and Scherzer are two of the best pitchers of that generation. Yes, the Mets are getting them kind of at the end of their careers. But I think those guys still have some stuff left in the tank. Um, but I think that the Mets are still going to work on the rotation. Obviously, today, which is Wednesday, they signed Jose Quintana. Who had mm-hmm. a really good year between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the St. Louis Cardinals? Taiwan Walker, obviously, we bid adieu. He signed with the Philadelphia Phillies for four years. So Jose Quintana, I think, is kind of that Taiwan Walker type replacement at the back of the rotation. But he had a really good year. And he actually started his professional career with the Mets back in 2006. So it is a little bit of a full circle move. Obviously, he just pitched that one season. And then he ended up being released, going to the Yankees, and then debuting with the. Chicago Cubs, or the Chicago White Sox. Um, and he's had a really good career, Jose Quintana. So I like that deal. I think it was two years, $26 million, $13 million a year. I think that's a perfectly fine contract for a guy like Quintana. But a guy that I'm really interested in, and I want to hear your thoughts on him, is Kodai Senga, who is behind Rodan, probably the most appealing name that's still left on the market. Obviously, he's from he pitched in Japan. He... Was not posted. He's a free agent, so there is no window to have to negotiate with him. There's no posting fee, so signing Senga is just like signing a normal free agent. And the Mets have been linked to him, and I think that if the Mets sign him, that would be a really, really good number three behind Verlander and Scherzer. Obviously, there's you don't know how the how players from Japan translate always because it's a little bit of a different game. But I think that he has some tools that, at the very least, he could be a number three. And maybe if you get lucky, he could be a guy who even uh, supersedes that.
1: Yeah. I mean, like you, I've had my eye on Senga since the first time I heard about him months ago. Um, you know, there is that worry. He probably has, of anybody in the free agent market, he has the widest variance of you know, what you're going to get. He could wind up being better than advertised you know, at least really, really good. Or he's one of those Japanese players who, um, you know, look really great in Japan and then they come over and it's just a different league and they kind of flame out. But um, regardless, I think no matter what, he has great stuff. The guy throws 98, 99. He's been known to break 100. That stuff, that stuff uh, misses bats. In any league, you know, if that's missing bats in Japan, that's missing bats in, in the United States. And um, like most Japanese pitchers, his secondary pitch is a splitter. Uh, that's like a, something that they teach a lot over there in that league. Uh, it's kind of like how you see the slider right now. The, this kind of sweeping slider is really popular in the sport right now. And you have like Jake and Diaz. Like That's something that we've been able to teach with the Mets they're both able to throw that like wicked slider and i'm sure the thing that some people in the league are worried about with him is that he doesn't have like a great like third pitch but hey i'd rather someone be able to throw two pitches really really well uh and as opposed to having like four or five pitches that are that are pretty good like a lot of people saying you know a good backup plan could be Bassett and I like Bassett. He did really he did really well for us last year and he got a lot of innings. He got the most innings on the team. The thing about Bassett though is that he doesn't really have an out pitch. He's kind of like the Yoshi of the baseball world. Where like I like playing as Yoshi sometimes in Super Smash Brothers and he could rack up Yoshi or Diddy Kong and they could rack up a lot of damage really quick. A lot of things that are just get your damage up to, like, 150, but they they don't have, like, an out hit. Like, those two characters, you're going to hit, you, they're going to rack up your damage, but they don't have the type of power to knock you off the stage. And I kind of feel the same about Bassett, and it's that type of thing that didn't translate so well to the postseason. You know, once you come up against, like, a Braves or what, how the Padres were hitting at the time, those guys, if they're if they're on and you're just a little bit off, That's a huge disadvantage. Senga, you're throwing 98-99. That's something. I think he could be worked with with Jeremy Hefner, develop a good third pitch, uh, and he's going to have the best teachers there. If if not Hefner, you know, he's going to be with those other guys and maybe probably with his translator in tow, um, huddled up in the dugout, you know, learning from Scherzer, talking about their outings, but not only just Scherzer, but... Verlander as well I mean that's like really great and they could work with Quintana too uh, Quintana like you said he's just a solid guy um I saw some people saying mm, typical typical Wilpons-esque move and it's like how are you going to say that right after we signed Verlander <laughs> just, I don't understand people but I'm not going to dwell on that but he's a solid depth piece and we need it and we need more and I just I'm very infatuated with the idea of going after him and, and looking for that upside. And I think if you're looking to win and if you're looking to win a World Series and be super ultra-competitive and make a, really make a mark, you look for that upside. You don't play it safe. And so I really want Senga, and he's someone that you feel comfortable giving a longer contract to. And if he pans out, I mean, how much better does it get?
0: Yeah, That'd I agree with you. I, I'd be I'd be okay with bringing Bassett back. Like if Sanga, for whatever reason, goes elsewhere, uh, and they want to bring another pitcher in, I'd be fine with Bassett. I think he had a really good season. He's yeah. a guy that you can kind of count on for 175 plus innings. He missed a, a few starts, maybe. I know that he had COVID, and then maybe he no, missed maybe a start like one with some sort two. of injury. Yeah, COVID, yeah. But he was really solid. I think that. People forget because his season didn't end great. Um, he had that really that, that outing in, in Atlanta where he really seemed like a deer in headlights. And then the postseason, he just did not pitch good in the decisive game three. Um, I, I like Sango better. I think that he's someone who is an exciting move. He would be an exciting move. And there is that potential there where Bassett, you kind of know what you're getting. So I'd be fine with him if like he's a fallback option, but yeah, I agree. Sango would be my, my top priority, but the Mets do have uh, another incumbent free or they have another free agent out there that they're still talking with. And that's Brandon Nimmo. The Mets haven't really done a ton of work on their offense so far. Uh, They've acquired a lot of pitchers off the waiver wire and deals The Mets acquired Brooks Raley today from the Tampa Bay Rays. So they've been working on their bullpen. They've claimed some guys off waivers. They made that small deal with Miami to get Jeff Brigham and Eliezer Hernandez. But they haven't really done too much with their offense. Brandon Nimmo is a big piece of that offensive equation. Obviously, I think the Mets probably need to do a little bit more with their offense than just bringing Nimmo back. But I think that if they lose Nimmo, they're really losing a big part of that offense. And you're losing a guy that could be a four or five wins above replacement player. So... But the Mets are, there is kind of some word out there that they could maybe end up with both Sanga and Nimmo. Um, So what are your thoughts on Nimmo? Do you want him back? And do you think the Mets will bring him back? Or do you think that he is destined to go somewhere else?
1: I love me some Nimmo. Nimmo, you know, if they re-sign Nimmo, he's a great candidate for captain. He really impressed me last year. You know, uh, it was his best complete season as in he played 150 games is the most we saw him out there. Uh, and he was always willing to get in front of the mic. I mean, how many interviews did we see with Nimmo? And he just takes accountability, A very likable guy. Uh, you know, Met fans, baseball guys just love the way he hustles and runs to first every time. Uh, I, I love Nimmo. And, and what's even more impressive is that in terms of, Like he had a great all-around year, but there was like a lot of stretches where he wasn't like as good as he's been in the shorter seasons that he's played. Uh, Like maybe he was a little bit more exposed or something. Or I know he was playing hurt a lot of the times, but he was still like out there and able to, you know, come around with a with a nice looking complete season. If we could, if money is not a thing, which right now it does not seem like it is, we are just a, a, a kiss away. Just a breath away from three hundred million right now, and so being that the bullpen is still not filled out yet, and there are those holes on offense we 're going to move past that three hundred we 're going to move past that three hundred so uh, if it's not if it 's really not a problem, you've know, you got to go get Nemo. but it does seem like they're very well prepared for a reality without nemo um, i 've heard them talk about. Um, Marte moving to center, a whole bunch. There's possible other trade options out there if we have to replace him. Um, I love Nimmo so like my heart says, like right, go get him. And like the, the plan A should be, you know, f it, just go get him anyway. Um, that being said, if it, if they decide that um, they can't go get him, like like um, Epler ha- has said that we are prepared, we are in a good place. Where, if we don't have Nimo, you could have either McNeil or Marte leading off um and gosh, McNeil looked so good uh once he got moved into the top four, whether he was leading off or batting third uh and so there's a there's a lot of different lineups that we could play with in that top four consisting of Mcneil uh Marte, Lindora, and Alonzo, which is probably the best way to go about it if you don't want to shake it up too much uh from last year um and I, I, it is interesting to think of what other options could be explored because that was, unlike Judge, who put on back-to-back, fully healthy campaigns, Nimo. That was his first full campaign, and not only that, uh, there were parts of his offense that he did lose. Like we all noticed that he wasn't really stealing any bases. The last year, not until like towards the end of the season, because when he steals, that's kind of when he tends to get hurt, like jamming his fingers or something. Uh, and so, I mean, is that, that's obviously something that could still be worked with more. I don't think we've seen Nimmo's best offensive season yet. I I think there's power. There's more power that can be unlocked with him. Um, I, I've, and I think the reason why I'm kind of cool on him right now, like cooling off on him, is literally only because there was a solid – like 18 hours where I thought Aaron judge was going to the giants. And in that reality, in my heart, I was like, Oh, great. So that means the Yankees are going to sign Nemo. I was like texting everybody. I'm like, 100% watch. They're going to sign. They'll, they'll pivot to Nimo so fast. And he's going to rip, you know, 325 foot home runs or whatever, whatever, um, length that is Three hundred thirty foot home runs. So left field countless, he's going to be Curtis Grandison, watch, um, Truthfully, so that, I think might, the Yankees.
0: Yeah. I I think the Yankees would have been better off doing that. I mean, really, like like I don't think that Judge contract. And obviously, the Yankees signed Aaron Judge today to a nine-year, three hundred sixty million dollar deal. So yeah, so Judge is back. He's going to be a Yankee for the rest of his career, which is cool. It's cool to see. I mean, I I think I read that before. Judge on this deal, the last player, like the last like marquee free agent to go back to their respective team was Ioannis Cespedes when he you know, in two thousand fifteen going into sixteen. Um, and then huh. before that it was like two thousand nine or something. Like so players are once they hit the free agent market these days, send it tends to be that they're going elsewhere. Um I mean I guess Edwin Diaz you could say, but like I don't know what the what the what the the parameters were for it, but you just blew you know, my I, mind I think, with
1: that, though. Yeah. Machado, yeah. Harper, John uh, Stanton Trade was Turner. traded. Uh, Trey Turner. Yeah, Lindor. If you look at it, like, all those guys moved. Huh. Yeah.
0: So it doesn't happen that often. And I think it's cool, too, because Judge now, I mean, he's going to be the captain. He's going to be forever immortalized, you know, in... The Bronx, he's going to be a a first ballot Hall of Famer if he continues his trajectory. But truthfully, it's like I think that the Yankees might have been better off just like spreading that money around a little bit, like signing Nemo, putting some of that money towards Carlos Rodon. And I mean... I know that Judge like in the short term is probably the better option, but I think that long term like like wh- what kind of player is he going to be even after like year 5? I mean, th- like the whole back nine of that contract is going to be bad probably. I mean, I guess you don't worry about that now if you could win a World Series today, but the Yankees have a lot of money tied up to Judge. But regardless, we're getting a little bit off track. Um You're I talk agree. About the Yankees. I really want yeah. <laughs> uh, I really want Brandon Nemo back on the Mets. I think he's a very he's an integral part to their to their bet their their offense um, if he doesn't come back, it's gonna be hard I mean there's not really I mean I wonder if he if he doesn't come back, I wonder if the Mets would maybe target like a like Carlos Correa on like a short term deal or maybe like um I don't know maybe like Dansby Swanson. Um, something I don't know. It's like I'd be very curious what they would do. I, Michael Conforto maybe, but I, I don't think Conforto is going to come back really in about any Conforto. circumstance. Yeah, I mean he didn't play at all last year, and you really haven't heard much about him this winter either. I, so even, who even knows we're going to get out of him? But um, I think Brandon Nemo and Sanga would be a, an amazing off season. Um the Mets obviously still have to do some work on their bullpen still as well, but I do like I was saying a little while ago, I do think they've done a really good job of picking up some intriguing arms, and I think that's what a lot of the good teams do. You look at teams like the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rays, like they bring in a lot of these guys and they're not they're not really doling out those massive contracts to relievers cuz relievers are really volatile. So, I think it's pretty it's pretty cool to see them pick up guys like Stephen Ridings who can throw 100 and Jeff Brigham, who's got some good um, RPMs on his pitches or horizontal break or whatever it is. And William Woods is 23 from Atlanta. And, um, you know, they, they picked up that, that reliever earlier in the offseason from Toronto, Tyler Sosaedo. So there's, or Taylor Saucedo. Um, So there, there's a lot of potential, I think, from the bullpen. I, I, I know that they've talked about perhaps wanting Ottavino back, which would be cool. Uh, Trevor yeah. may, I would welcome back. I think Seth Lugo is probably gone, but it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do the rest of the off season. Cause I think that they need to round up their bullpen. Obviously there, they do. It's not even just, I think they need to. Um, but even beyond Nemo, it's like, I wonder if they make any changes to their offense. Um, a, a point I wanted to bring up was that you've heard that James McCann, the Mets are going to try to look to move and Darren Ruff as well. Um, my opinion is that they're probably not going to find a suitor for James McCann. I don't think they going to want that contract. <laughs> Why? So what I, do you
1: think? What? No?
0: <laughs> I, th- I think what's going to happen with James McCann is that he's going to get the Robinson Cano treatment where they bring him to spring training and they give him about a month. They let Francisco Alvarez start the season in AAA. They give McCann about a month. And if McCann's really struggling and, and Alvarez is playing well, they're going to just cut bait with McCann and they're going to let Alvarez take it and run with it. I think that's what's going to happen with McCann. For Darren Ruff, I think that there's a team out there that could that could take on that $3 million that he's owed or whatever and yeah. they could just, you know, try to throw shit against the wall and hope that it sticks.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you bet you t- you take that bet. He he had he had, he looked really good. I was excited about the trade cuz I knew about him and it's only $3 million. And so there's yeah, no why reason not? why you can't fi- I mean, honestly, come on. Look, you know who would be perfect? Uh, who would be uh, an, an, a, a team I feel like would would love to take a chance on Darren Ruff? The, them stupid Dodgers or something. You know that they'll like take him and, and turn him into something else, you know? Uh, 100%. Especially, uh, with, like, the why not? especially yeah, with the DH now. Especially with the DH now. Especially since you played for San Francisco. I could see that happening. Uh, Steve, uh, Billy, uh, wake up and make the call right now. Darren Ruff to the Dodgers. It's going to happen. James McCann... My my lone pushback on I think they still can be a market because just because offense for catchers is just not really there in the sport anymore. Like look at look at uh, Wilson Contreras. I don't think people saw him getting five years, eighty five million from the Cardinals, uh, but that's what he just got. And I thought that they were, they were an interesting um, trade chip. Although I never, you know, I figured they'd either go Contreras or look at Sean Murphy or or one of those guys in Toronto. But I'm wondering if maybe the White Sox, because Yasmani, they have it's the White Sox that have Yasmani Grandal, right? Yes, yes. So he's been like really hurt recently, and you know, um, James McCann had his best seasons in the with the White Sox. That was like his like breakout, you know, offensive year kind of. So I mean, why not like take a chance? He's really, I mean. His contract's not that onerous, especially when you look at the contracts going out now. He only makes ten million a year, you know, which, which is why, like, if they decide to cut him, you know, that that won't kill anybody. That won't kill our, our you know payroll. But I could, and I think I even think someone might even pick him up on waivers just because there's such a scarcity and good catchers right now. Like, even why not the Yankees? Probably not the Yankees. Yankee fans are are crazy. They're like dogs yeah
0: I think the, the Yankees have been I guess they've been okay with like going with Trevino and Trevino
1: Trevino's great
0: yeah Higashioka Higashioka um yeah it'll be interesting with McCann I mean I wonder if there's like a, an equally as bad contract out there that like a team would just like do a bad contract swap with um which I'd be I'd be interested in for sure but uh Alex so I wanted to do a little interesting thing with you um I'm going to go over some things that have happened this week in Mets history. And I want you to just give me your first thought on it. You know, it could be whatever. It doesn't have to be any stringent rules, just like, um, like what you think about it. And, you know, give me like a one or two sentence thing, and we're going to go through it really quickly. Just, you know, we're going to – it'll be a little new thing that we'll do. All right. Hit me. All right. So 2002, uh, December 5th, 2002, Mets signed Tom Glavin to a three-year deal.
1: Oh, my gosh, Tom Glavin. Um, game 162, I hate him. <laughs> I hate That's him. That's fair. Rest, That's rest fair. in peace, John Main. You know, I think that Glavin had some good
0: years of the Mets, too, but I think that he'll ever always be remembered for that game, truthfully. Oh, um, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I liked him a lot. He I saw him win, you know, get his 300th win. That was really cool. But also, he sucks. Next, next, yeah,
0: <laughs> and then he went right back to the Braves after he left the Mets in 2007.
1: Yeah, um, he was chopping right. the whole time.
0: 2000, <laughs> 2005, Mets acquired Paul Duca from the Florida Marlins.
1: Love him, I love his Twitter, I love everything he has to say. I still don't understand that double tagout at home um, in the division series in 2006. That's like one of the all time Mets highlights, and I still just don't understand how it happened. And it's really... I don't even know if it's that impressive. It's one of the more overrated moments in life, but it's fun, and I like him, and he was... I... Paulo Duca is the guy that is my mold of a number-two hitter because that was the number-two hitter in my formidable um, Mets year where he was able to just, like, take pitches, let Jose Reyes steal, and then slap, like, a single or a double or something, hit 300, and then, you know... You know, move him over. You know, he was the perfect uh, number two hitter, uh, but now that mold is different in in major leagues. We like more power there. But paul Paulo Duca. Uh
0: So December sixth, two thousand eleven, Mets trade Angel Pagan to the San Francisco Giants for Andres Torres and Ramon Ramirez.
1: Criminal underrated. You and me have talked about this. We we love Angel Pagan. Awful, awful, awful trade. Sandy really had some, had some duds when he came over, didn't he? That was, that was the post-Madoff uh, years, but I'd love to see Angel Pagan on this team. If we lost Nemo, give me, give me 2011 Pagan. That'd be sick.
0: Absolutely. I yeah. agree with that wholeheartedly. Angel Pagan is such a criminally underrated player. I actually met him at a game one time, and he signed my baseball. I still have it. Uh, that was pretty cool. When I, when uh, I hear right. him,
1: I just my friend Sam, I brought, we went to a Mech game together, and I always have the voice of him in the back of my head going, Angel? Pagan? <laughs> That's that. <laughs> he's a pagan. He's a pagan. He's a, but he's an angel.
0: <laughs> um, happy birthday, Pete Alonzo. His birthday is today. Happy um, birthday, Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo, Mike, Mike Baxter, and Eric Chavez all share the same birthday, I uh, which so. is pretty interesting. Um, all right. Uh, 1999. Seattle Mariners signed John Olrude after three seasons with the Mets. We were just talking about this. So
1: how about that?
0: You didn't remember this. So Mets acquired Chin Wong Hu from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, 2000 December 7th,
1: 2010. Uh, re- uh, and they had a press please, conference for him too. Like throw me out the window when I say this, but who? like, like <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I I never heard of him. 2010? Like I feel like I was pretty plugged in then. I
0: to be fair, I don't think that he played that much for the Mets. Like I think they got him and then like
1: There's no he, way he did. He
0: played <laughs> like maybe like 20 games or something. Um but I think they had a they they had a they had a press conference because he is I want to say he is from Taiwan and he was like the first mm. Taiwanese player to play in New York. Um, oh, that's
1: why you do that Okay So
0: But it's As just like of- Out of context That like That that picture with like Him and Sandy Alderson Like at like a press conference Is pretty funny Because it's Chin Lung Hu um, Yeah Because you don't do so, that You don't yeah, do that
1: With under the radar players Like
0: Yeah He's from Taiwan So he was the He was the first Taiwanese player To play in New York Or something That's like why they had The press conference Good um, for him Thursday December 8th uh, Which is tomorrow Is Alex Torres' birthday Do you remember Alex Torres?
1: Yes. He was a pitcher. And
0: what do you remember? Yes, but what do you remember? What, what like made him really distinct? What do you remember about him? Hard,
1: hardly anything. Um, I, I remember he was a pitcher, a relief really pitcher. I think he was like up and down a lot like minors and up here. I think he often did um, multi-inning stints, like a, like a two- inning type of thing. Did he pitch in 2015? or was that like more recently, yes. like 2018, 2019? That's all I remember.
0: All right. 2000 Colorado Rockies signed Matt, uh, Matt signed Mike Hampton.
1: Mike Hampton is a guy that I wish I knew more about. He's always, like he they still have his jersey at in the team store like you could see it and always like it's like so random but it would just be like Piazza and Hampton. Like and Seaver, like those are like the only, like, or like Hernandez and Strawberry, like those are the only like classic guys. And I literally know nothing. I I, I remember that he was he was definitely a pitcher who raked. He signed like an eight year contract or something with the Rockies, and it never panned out. Um, but I have no idea how he was with the Mets or if he was a nice guy. He was great.
0: Uh, that was like the big joke is that he signed with the Rockies for their the Colorado public school system. That was like a big joke. <laughs> Um, he was really good. He, he won, I believe he won the only game in the 2000 world series for the Mets, but he also, the Mets got a compensation pick for Hampton that they used on David, Wright. So I think that ended up, that's it. That's the significance. Yeah. So that ended up being okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was, this is very, this is very, this is a very interesting week in Mets history. They also, I'll just ring off a couple other things. They traded John Neese to Pittsburgh for Neil Walker that same day, I didn't realize it was the same day they signed as Cabrera. That was December 9th. and then I definitely
1: remember that being all like around the same time. Yeah, I didn't realize it was the same
0: day, but I guess it was. Um, and then December tenth, they traded Nolan Ryan to the Angels. They also acquired Gary Carter in nineteen eighty four. They signed Kaz Matsui in two thousand three, and Francisco Rodriguez in two thousand eight, and then. On December 11th, they traded Kevin Mitchell to the Padres for Kevin McReynolds. And then in 2000, they signed uh, Shinjo, Tsuyoshi Shinjo. So there's a lot of stuff that went on in this week in Mets history. So I just figured it'd be Mitchell a cool was traded do. for
1: McReynolds?
0: Mitchell was traded for McReynolds, yeah.
1: The, those are like, like Kevin Mitchell and Kevin McReynolds are two guys that I always think are the same person.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were around that same era. They were both really good outfielders. Kevin Mitchell, they traded him, like, right after the 86 World Series, which was strange because he was really good, and he was young. And then yeah. he ended up winning an uh, MVP, an NL MVP award with the Giants. So that was kind of a weird trade. But McReynolds was really good, too. Yeah, he won the NL MVP one year Yeah.
1: Ago. So, anyway, wow. before we I'm get out that. of here,
0: let's remember some guys, and then we'll see you guys next week. So, Alex, you want to start or you want me to start?
1: I'll start. Uh, uh, be very traditional, right? Remember some guys. Uh, so, Taiwan Walker, he's officially a Mets legend. He yeah, had he is. two very fun, interesting years. He, uh, you know, he'll in, in a few years from now, he's someone who never made a postseason start with the Mets. He only spent two years here, so in, like, how many years he'll be pretty obscure. Uh, I liked him a lot. I never thought that they would resign him because... I definitely expected this type of contract. Like there's enough there in like what he, whatever he did in the first half of these seasons to show that there's, there's a really good pitcher in him. There's an all-star type caliber pitcher in him that he just needs to be able to keep up for a full season. Um, and maybe he never gets to that. You know, maybe he, maybe he's peaked, you know, um, but I think no matter what, he's a good guy. I like him a lot. Uh, it was really cool of him, how he was buying like on pride night, just buying fans, like whatever they wanted at the, at the team store, uh, Ty's tacos. Uh, I really like Taiwan Walker and I, there was no part of me that thought he would stay. Um, I like, I like him a lot. The, the part of me that's sour about the playoffs is so like, what if Taiwan Walker started, even though he was awful against um, really good teams <laughs> uh, last season. Um, but that's, that's my Mets legend. Uh, he's out the door um, and I love him. Let's go Taiwan Walker. Yeah, he was when little, he pitches against the Mets, which will happen.
0: He was a little, he was a little bit of an afterthought for me too. I think like it's like, he was never like a top priority in my mind for the Mets to resign. But I will say that that deal ended up being pretty good for them. I think they signed him to like a two-year, twenty million dollar deal or something like that. And I truthfully think he earned every yeah, penny what a great of deal. that. Um, I mean, he made an All-Star team in 2021. He pitched really well as like a fifth starter in 2022. Um, I mean, for that value, I mean, it's that's less than what they gave Jose Quintana today. So uh, I think that you make that deal again. He yeah. he earned every penny of that deal. I liked Walker. I'm happy that he parlayed it into uh seventy-two million dollar deal or seventy-three, whatever it is, over four years. I'm happy for him. Um, I don't think that that ballpark is really super friendly for a pitcher like Taiwan Walker, but I'm happy that he got his bag. You know, um, yeah, so I wish him the best. I really have no ill feelings about that. Like it is kind of what it is. Um, but yeah, how about uh, you give me a year and I will pick a Mets legend from that year.
1: Let's let's go. Let's go in the year two thousand.
0: 2000. All right. The first guy that came to my mind was Rick White. I believe he was on the 2000 New York Mets. Rick White. He was a pitcher. And I remember, like, I started collecting cards in 2001. And I remember having a Rick White card. And I was like, this guy looks really old. Because he had, like, a goatee and he was, like, bald. And I was just like, and I was also, like, 6. So I was like, this guy's probably, like, 80. But in hindsight, he was probably, like, my age now. (laughs) <laughs> He's already like 27 in that picture. So, uh, yeah, Rick White is my legend. 2000 New York Mets.
1: Yeah, let's go Rick White, Mets legend. Let's go Rick White. All right,
0: guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back next week. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And also shout-out to our new um, – podcast editor eric Ames, good friend of ours good friend of the pod and so he will be editing our podcast so hopefully you guys will see a little bit of an increase in the quality of the audio it's a little bit easier on your ears uh but we will see you next week and hopefully we'll have some more news to report for you guys so till then take care and have a good holiday season let's go Mets! lfgm